These guys are sports lunatics. This is the Sports Lunatics Show. Hi, everybody, and welcome to another edition of the Sports Lunatics Show. Who are the Sports Lunatics? Well, we're just a couple of regular guys who love sports and sports history. I'm Howie Mooney. Sean is away today. Don't forget, folks, we are brought to you by our good friends at the Fired Up Network. You can find us on Spotify, iHeartRadio, TuneIn Radio, 212 different platforms, sorry, in total, wherever you find your podcasts, including Alexa. If you ask Alexa to play the Sports Lunatics, I'm told Alexa will play the Sports Lunatics. Don't forget to rate and review us, folks. And if you like us, please tell your friends and family about us. We are also on Facebook. The Sports Lunatics radio show page is an interactive page for you, the listeners. There's always a lot going on in there. Shawnee's in there all the time posting. So many members are in there as well. The page has taken on a life of its own. On today's show, I have a, a special guest with me, and I'm thrilled to have him here. He is a giant in television and radio in southwestern Ontario, in Kitchener-Waterloo, in Windsor, Detroit. Randy Steinman is my guest. Randy, uh, thanks so much for being here. Uh, he, you are in the Cambridge Hall of Fame. You were born in Preston before it became part of Cambridge. And your son's name, of course, is Brody Preston, which I think is fantastic. Uh, <laughs> welcome to the show and thanks for being here. Howie, it's great to talk to you. We've sort of uh, had an online connection here for a few years, but this is the first time we've really spoken. So this is really cool. It is. It is. It's amazing. And, and you and I have shared a little bit of uh, a few stories back and forth over time. And I, I want to talk to you about something you told me last week where you were doing a walk and talk with Sparky Anderson. And right. it was during the I guess it was during the Tiger uh, caravans that they do in the off season. Right. And you did something that put your job in jeopardy. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I, I understand. No, I, I know what you're talking about because uh, <laughs> having been there, but you asked him for his autograph and, and uh, I, I thought that was a pretty cool story. Well, well as you know, I mean, there, there's sort of an unwritten rule. Um, no, no cheering in the press box. Um, although I don't honestly know if that still holds true in, in this day and age. It's been a, a few years since I've been in a press box. But <laughs> in, in, in the old days, uh, 80s and 90s, it was certainly, you know, no cheering in the press box, no asking anyone for autographs and no asking anyone for pictures. Um, and and I lived very, uh, very hard by that rule in, in every way because it was important to me. Um, so uh, when, one year, uh, the winter, the Tigers winter caravan, late 80s, and, uh, and the Tigers caravan bus is going through uh, southeastern Michigan, and, and uh, I was uh, uh, covering the the caravan for news radio. And at one point, uh, after a, a stop somewhere, uh, Sparky and I are, are walking to the bus together, and it's just the two of us. And it's a you know cold January night, and and um, and there's no one else around. My my wife at the at the time uh, was a huge Sparky fan, and. Uh, um, I thinking it would be great for me to try and get an autograph for her. So I uh, looked around to make sure no one was around. And I said, uh, listen, Sparky, I'm not supposed to do this, but can you, can you sign something for me for my wife here? Cause she would love it. And, uh, and he, of course he was so gracious. He, he, he did it. And, um, you know, I, I looked around again to make sure no one saw me, <laughs> but in my whole career, uh, that was the only, autograph I ever asked for of anyone. Um, and, uh, 
Yeah, I mean, I guess I'm sort of proud of that because, uh, although I'm sort of disappointed too, because here we are all these years later now, and my career is 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 over. I'm retired, and um, you know, I, I'd love to have, quite honestly, some pictures of of some people that I I interviewed over the years, but I don't have any because it just didn't ask for them. It just wasn't it just wasn't the thing to do. So I have no I have no pictures of these some of these great people I interviewed, which is a shame. I absolutely understand what you're talking about because I came up in the 90s. I remember the first time I sat in a press box it was the, the Ottawa Rough Riders, Lansdowne Park, and I'm in the back row. I'm sitting behind Earl McRae, the, the legendary Earl McRae. Mm. And uh, he I, I'm reading his column as he's typing it over his shoulder on one of those old uh, gray laptop things that they, they had. They weighed about 47 pounds, I think, at the time. Yeah. But uh, back in those days, and as you said, no cheering in the press box, uh, you know, it, 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 same in the Senators press box. It was like we just sat there and went ho-hum because Jacques Martin's teams played the trap all the time. <laughs> and, right. Uh, right. But uh, was there anybody you talked about people that you interviewed? And I mean, yes, you don't have pictures. You don't have all that stuff, but you have your memories of it all. Was there ever anybody that you were kind of nervous about interviewing before you before you talked to them? I'd say the one that stands out for my for me was Bobby Orr, ah. um, because I I was I, I mean I, I was born in in '59, so when when Bobby Orr was at the height of his game, you know, late '60s, early '70s. I mean, those were my prime years for being a, a kid fan. Um, so you know, Bobby Orr was huge, and uh, so then probably mid again mid late '80s, I, I had a chance to interview him. Um, at an event and I can't even remember what the event was but uh, I knew you know for a few hours in advance that I was going to be interviewing him and and I was I was nervous uh, you know I just thought wow I'm sitting here across the table from Bobby Orr for you know five minutes like I, I really hope I don't sound like a, an idiot here and um, yeah, that was that was the one that stands out it, that was that was terrific and Howie the one thing I remember about that is you know, we met briefly before the interview started and he introduced himself and I said, hi, I'm Randy. And, you know, it was very quick and very brief. So we talked for five minutes. And at the end of the interview, I say, Bobby Orr, this has been a pleasure. Thank you. And he says, thanks, Randy. <laughs> <laughs> and honestly, I almost peed my pants. I mean, I was just, I, I was sitting there thinking, oh my gosh, Bobby Orr called me by name. And, you know, he didn't, he didn't, he didn't need to, I'm, you know, I'm not even sure that I would have remembered my name if I were him. <laughs> but the fact that he did was, was a, just a special moment that I've never forgotten that. Was there anybody that you ever met that you went, wow, I'm meeting this guy other than Bobby Orr, I guess. Um, yeah, there were a few, um, it, it happened more early in my career, I guess. Yeah. Um, just because after a while you, you get, you don't want to say you get, um, used to interviewing or talking to big name people, but after a while you get used to it. Um, but I, I, I interviewed Johnny Unitas mm. when, uh, when, um, um, it, 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 the, the Colts had just moved to um indianapolis about three or four days before wow so this would this would have been i'm guessing 84 yes and and um um so as it turned out uh the the interview was very timely i had i had a i had a weekly uh, uh sports radio uh interview show so that's why i was interviewing him and um it was in it was in windsor i think and yeah just talking to johnny unitas was was 
sort of um, mind boggling for me because again, you know, in the, in the sixties as a kid growing up, huge fan, um, you know, he was bigger than life. Um, so uh, Johnny Unitas, Bob Feller was another one. Um, I interviewed uh, one time and again, his career was long gone or long done by the time, you know, I, I mm. was old enough to really know what baseball was, but I certainly, you know, being a, a real fan of history and of the game, you know, I certainly knew all about Bob Feller. So uh, those, those were a couple of guys that really stand out for me. There's a guy that I met, but I never interviewed. And that was George Chevallo. And, no. uh, I, you know, as I, I'm about the same age as you are, I'm a little bit younger than you are, not by much, though. And so all of those guys, George Chevallo was a, a huge, huge Canadian presence in the boxing <laughs> world in the 60s and, and the early 70s. And again, Earl McRae, we're in the Ottawa Lynx dressing or the clubhouse uh, under the stands, uh, the AAA team for the Montreal Expos at the time. And Earl says, Howie, come over here. I want to be, I want you to meet somebody. And I get over there and it's George Chevallo and I become like this 10 year old kid again. And I'm like, Oh my <laughs> God. Yeah. And, and I, I put my hand out to, to shake his hand and my hand disappears. It's just, <laughs> it's gone. It's completely, it's like it was in, it was put into a baseball mitt, but I mean, it's, it's uh, just unbelievable. And I was, I, I think I said something to him, but I, I can't remember. I, I may have babbled something, but it was uh, <laughs> just, uh, just a thrill to meet George Chevallo. And it's funny. I can't say I've met a whole bunch of great NHL stars. I've met a whole bunch of great CFL stars, baseball players all over the, you know, you name it. And it's George Chevallo that makes me turn into a 10 year old kid. Is that right? Yeah. That's cool. Can I, can I share with you quickly? A, 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 absolutely. A, yes. A absolutely. Boxing, yeah, a boxing absolutely. story. You started talking about boxing and, and, and I was reminded of one of my more embarrassing moments. <laughs> For, fortunately, it was not live. So it was a recorded interview. So I was able to, uh, do a redo. Um, but I'm interviewing George Foreman. Oh, and it's, it's over the phone. We're not in person. He, I mean, he, he's somewhere and I'm interviewing him on a phone call. Yeah. So, so I start the interview, I start recording, I start the interview. I I've, I've got the George Foreman um, bio in front of me, but I don't have his name written down at the top. So I start reading and I, and I talk about some of his career accomplishments and I, and I get to the part where I'm introducing him. And I say, pleasure to have on the show today, Larry Holmes. Oh, and I just, I just had a brain cramp basically and said, Larry Holmes. And there's, there's this silence at the other <laughs> end of the phone. And, and I hear this voice say, I don't know what your PR people told you, but you're interviewing George Foreman. Oh, I was so embarrassed. And I said, Oh my gosh, Mr. Foreman. I said, I am so sorry. I said, I just had a cramp there and, and just came up with the wrong name. And, and, uh, he was very gracious. He, yeah. Uh, again, we did a, a real nice interview after that, as I recall, and he probably got a big kick out of it. And, um, but I, Oh my gosh, I was so embarrassed. And again, <laughs> thank, thank goodness. It was, uh, it wasn't live. Wow, that's that. I mean, we've all gone through that. It's at one point or another in our in our lives and in our careers. Yeah, uh, and I mean, it's it's one of those things that happens. I can remember uh, doing an intermission interview with uh, a, pay, a reporter from the Ottawa Citizen, and I remembered her first name, but I couldn't remember her last name. <laughs> and, hmm. and it was it was live, and it was it was oh, it was bad. Yeah. Anyway, we've yeah. all had and we've all had those at one time or another. 
And 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 that's the case where um your your mind just starts racing and and like one second feels like 10. It does. And it's awful. Yeah, it does. It's true. Ah, uh, anyway, I, I I we could do this for for 3 or 4 hours I think, but the reason yeah. I got you on the show today was because I've, I've always acknowledged you as a baseball guy. I mean, I know you, you've enjoyed all the meats of the sporting stews, but you're, I, I see you as a baseball guy. And I, I, am I right or am I wrong about that? Yeah, you're right. I mean, there's just something about baseball that um, is just always just, uh, I, I've just sort of romanticized about its history since I was a kid. Mm. And, and, um, I, and I'm not really sure why. Maybe I was, you know, maybe I was a big fan in in the dead ball era in a in a <laughs> previous life or something. But uh, yeah, you 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 get me talking about um, you know years of the past and pre nineteen twenty and yeah, it's, it's just I just love it. Like I, <laughs> if I, I said the other day on, online somewhere on a forum, um, someone somewhere had posted a really nice old picture of the polo grounds mm. from from nineteen oh five. Um, and it was a beautiful picture that someone had colorized and it's just gorgeous. And, and I had gone on and I'd posted something about how, you know, if, if time travel ever becomes a thing, um, uh, my first stop is going to be a game like this. Wow. And, and it's true. Like I would just love to have gone back and been able to watch, watch the, the game back in those days. Well, you and I being about the same age, we, I, I don't know about you, but the first world series that I can remember watching and actually taking in and, and, and and uh and absorbing was the 68 world series between the uh, tigers and the cardinals Mm -hmm. and bob gibson with those eyes piercing through the camera looking into tim mccarver for the signs it it was it was mesmerizing to me lou brock on the on the base paths Mm -hmm. uh red shane deanst and and all that stuff but uh the the thing that that uh i remember most after that was the dominance of pitching at that time and so what they did, of course, as you know, and as our listeners probably know, if, if they're anything like you and me, they remember that the mound was lowered from 15 inches to 10 inches. And that was a significant rule change at the time. In 2023, we are seeing a bunch of significant rule changes taking place right now, or at least for this season, uh, a pitch timer, or at least an enhanced pitch timer, right. uh, no more shifts, which is fine with me. I was never really a fan of the shifts anyway, but uh the bases too the size of the bases are going to go from 15 by 15 to 18 by 18 what are your thoughts about this <laughs> i i'm okay with some of them believe it or not um the the shift one i never really had a problem with the shift only because um i i've I, I guess I, I'm a little old school and, and, and I was sort of always a fan of, you know, the Rod Carews and the, yes. um, the Tony Gwynn's of the world yes. where it, you, you just hit, you just hit, hit it where the defenders aren't sort of thing. And, and that, that talent or that ability seems to have been lost a little bit. Um, and I'm, I'm always almost more of the mind that I'd rather see the hitters learn how to spray the ball more or learn how to bunt again um, more than I would like to see the shift uh, uh, ruled out. Um, but that said, I mean, it, it, it will help, it will help offense. Um, I was reading that, you know, the batting averages last year was 243. Yes. 
which was the lowest since 1968, that the year you're talking about when they lowered the mound after after Bob Gibson had that unbelievable year. Um, so it's the lowest since 1968. They probably do need to get, you know, offense up a little bit. And and this is a way to do it. Um, I don't know. I, 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 I They say it'll benefit left-handed hitters more than right-handed hitters, um, which I, I, I suppose it will. Um, but I, I would almost just as soon let them, let them play a shift if they want and just let guys learn how to just slap the ball down the third baseline or, or lay it down for a bunt or something. And that'll change the shift pretty quickly anyway, on its own. Do you think that there's some kind of, I guess it's a, a, a man code in baseball that says, I'm not going to, I can't bunt against this. I have to hit through it. Uh, yeah, maybe there is, um, personally i i if I, if i were an mlb hitter i i wouldn't care less i mean if, <laughs> if i can get an extra hit every 15 at bats sure. and and have my batting average you know 30 points higher at the end of the year because of it i i couldn't i couldn't really care about you know how how uh, much of a of a man code it is you know but yeah, you're right. I, I think there is maybe something to it where where guys just like it always kills me when, you know, you see the shift on. Yes. Especially for a left handed, you know, power hitter and the shifts on and these guys just are still swinging out of their shoes trying to pull the ball hard down the, the right field line. Um, and, I, and I sit there and I'm watching it on TV and I'm going, why? Like the shift is they've they've hold the shift on you. Why would you still be swinging that way? Like, why wouldn't you at least be making an effort to go the other way? But I'm starting to think that a lot of guys just can't just because, you know, that's the way the game has sort of evolved into in the last 10, 15 years. And guys can't go the other way. When you were talking about batting averages being the lowest they've been since 1968, part of me, part of my brain went to the, uh, the argument that isn't the obsession with launch angle and, and, uh, and home runs more at fault for that than than the shift yeah i i think it is like i i mean sure who doesn't love a home run um but i love three run homers too and i'd love to see a couple more guys on base yes you know as opposed to all these solo shots um like how many games do you see now where the game has ended and there's been i don't know let's say eight runs scored and seven or all eight of the runs all came on a home run. Like you just yeah. don't see, you just don't see RBI singles and doubles as much as you used to. And, and I mean, they're just as an exciting a part of the game as anything. Absolutely. And especially I, I think back to the, I think it was the 2001 world series. And uh, I, I remember this because uh, going through the Tim McCarver stuff that uh, this past week, there was one highlight that, uh, that he, they showed where he's in the booth and he's saying, one thing about Mariano Rivera is that he gives up a lot of bloop hits. And so bringing the infield in with a man on third may not be the smartest thing. And then what, right after that, Luis Gonzalez hits a bloop hit over second and mm -hmm. scores the winning run. And they, they win the World Series from that. And, and it's, it's like, like you're saying, that is as important a hit as somebody hitting you know, a home run and striking out 14 times. Yeah. And, and just as, and you're right. I get, you know, if you cut down on the home runs, you're also going to cut down on the strikeouts. Yeah. And, and I would, I just love, I love seeing balls in play. I mean, then you're getting to appreciate great defense. You're getting to appreciate more, 
you know, base running skill because it doesn't take a whole lot of skill to run around the bases after a home run. So, mm-hmm. um, yeah, I, 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 yeah, I, I agree. And then another pitch, uh, the, the, the pitch clock you mentioned too, that one, I, I, I've got no problem with that one because I think the games have become just a little bit too long. I mean, they, about a year, uh, sorry, about 10 years ago, um, that's when games started creeping over the three hour mark yeah. on a regular basis and, and have stayed there. And, you know, it doesn't seem like there's any coming back unless they make a change. And, and the, the pitch count, I've got no problem. I mean, it's, it, 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 it does get really long and drawn out sometimes with the pitchers taking their time. I, I get the high intense, you know, um, situations that you're going to get, I get that. Um, but it'd, it'd be nice to just uh, sort of speed everything up a little bit. I guarantee the fans w- will appreciate it when the game is ending 15, 20 minutes earlier. Um, I would think that all those MLB uh, defenders, like the guys in the infield and the outfield, are going to appreciate the game moving quicker because there's nothing worse than standing out there with a, you know, in, in, a, in, a, in a half inning that lasts you know, 15 minutes because the pitcher's taking his time or throwing the ball over to first all the time or stuff like that. Well, that's another thing that's going to be uh, regulated as well is that per at bat, you can only throw over twice. Right. And, and honestly, I I don't have a problem with that. Apparently they've done that in the minors for a couple of years and, and uh, um, it's seen um, uh, stolen base attempts uh, really uh, increase. Yeah. And, and that's, I mean, stolen bases are, are exciting plays. I mean, if you're in the stands and, and a guy takes off for first and you just know that, you know, in about two seconds, there's going to be a play at second base with, mm-hmm. uh, that that's just, that's just exciting. And if you can, if you can, um, you know, I- increase the, the stolen base attempts, which, you know, this, the, this pickoff uh, rule should do, I, I'm, I'm all for that as well. Well, one thing too, that I, when I was reading, the in the minors they've implemented these rules and they've cut 26 minutes off per game wow which to me is is a pretty uh significant amount of time my question too though is who's going to enforce this is it going to be the umpires is it going to be a specific uh uh, sort of policeman set aside other than the umpires because my question is if if it is the umpires will that mean that there could be tension between the umpires and the players, the umpires and the managers afterwards, or, you know, immediately afterwards or, or lingering afterwards, yeah. uh, you know, or if, if it's a separate guy, will that take some of the heat off the umpires? Yeah. I mean, that's, I, I'm, I'm not sure. I'm not sure how they've already determined who's, who's going to enforce that. Um, I'm, I'm, I assume the umpires, I hadn't really thought about it. Um but yeah, it'll be interesting. I mean, there there are there are definitely going to be some some times where, um, well, it's like it's like the the you know the the snap uh, clock in in football where yeah. you know the, the it was the ball snapped, you know, on the zero or yes. a, sh- a shade after, and then it's you know, and then there's always some discussion. And I mean, you're going to get some of that. You're going to get some arguments. Um, but I think as a rule, I think it, it's it's going to be. It's just going to help it move quicker, and and honestly, Howie, I don't think it'll take very long for 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 pitchers to just make this uh, new um, sort of speedier um, delivery part of their you know routine. And you know, given heck, after two months of the regular season, it might not even be an issue anymore because everybody's just so become so used to it 
it, um, it, it, it won't even, it won't even really be a, be an issue after a while. Remember after the lockout in hockey, when they brought in the, 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 the I guess the tighter calling of the rules hmm. and how it sped up the game. And we see now what it's done to the game. It's taken a lot of the, of the clutching and grabbing out. It's taken a lot of the heavy hitting out other than Jacob Truba, maybe, but mm -hmm. uh, uh, you know, it's, and you see that the skill in the game has increased exponentially. Yeah, I, I agree. I, I, I think, I think baseball will benefit in the long run from the whole pitch clock thing and the pickoff thing. Yeah. Um, like try to imagine, try to imagine the NBA anymore without, uh, without a shot clock. Oh, you can't. And and I and I vaguely remember when th that came in. There was you know a lot of discussion and controversy about that. We're going way back, but um, you know that it just made it it just made it a better game. Um, I can remember when they brought it into the college game, mm -hmm. and what a difference it made in terms of of the uh, the way that the game was played and the in the offense in the game because it sped things up a lot. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, and maybe that's maybe I'm even thinking of the college game too. I don't remember. I just remember how. When when it was implemented, it it really improved things, and I'm I'm hoping that this is the same for baseball. I I, th I think it will be. Well, I, when I one of the things that I was reading when I was reading about this topic, and it was talking about back in uh, you know hundred years ago, uh, maybe even more, when you could uh, the number of foul balls was unlimited, uh, and but and none of them were strikes. They weren't they weren't called strikes back then. You could hit foul balls after foul ball after foul ball. And I'm sure the, the game could have been interminable. <laughs> yeah. Although back in those days, it's amazing sometimes. If you look at some box scores, uh, I I remember, I don't remember the details of who it was, uh, but I, I looked at a box score about a year ago of some game, I'm going to say in the 1920s. And the final score was 18 to 14. <laughs> And they played it in an hour and 50 minutes. Wow. And and it's like, how is that even possible? And and I even I even got out a calculator and I was trying to determine how many how many seconds uh there would have averaged for each uh, batter in that game. Wow. And it it, it was just mind-boggling that there were so many runs, so many hits. Guys left on, and they played it in under two hours. So was everybody swinging at the first pitch? And then... <laughs> maybe, but this was, and this wasn't like a, some uh, you know late season. Let's just get out of here game. This was, it was you know some July game that uh, you know there was no reason for it to be you know played quickly. Right, it was. But you know you can go on YouTube and you can watch games from the '60s, and they'll be done in two hours and ten minutes. Mm -hmm. And it's it's. Those are the kind I loved those games. I loved the weekend games with Kurt Gowdy and Tony Kubek, the NBC game of the week. Yeah. You know, and, and they'd be in different places all the time. When I think about baseball, that was to me the golden age. The, the, the fact now that we have a 24 seven sports universe and we can watch our team play every night. I think what it's done is it's kind of taken the interest away for the baseball fan from the rest of the league and the rest of the leagues, because you're only watching your team all the time now. And I, I notice it in Toronto a lot. We have this kind of roller. I call it a roller derby mentality where on Saturday, Saturday afternoons, when we were kids, we'd watch roller derby. And the only thing we could be concerned about was who are the Canadian all-stars playing today? They're playing the Los Angeles T-Birds. Well, right. we know the T-Birds because we've been watching the T-Birds play every week. 
<laughs> right. Right. And when the Leafs come, when the Leafs have a, a, a team come to town, the only team that they that we know about that day or that that for that couple of days is say the Dallas Stars. You know, they're in town. So we're we're talking to the Dallas, uh the Dallas media people and uh, what, who should we be looking out for today? We will, well, you know, and they talk about the Dallas players, but the, the Leaf fans that I know, and I, I mean, they're all friends of mine and I love them, but <laughs> let's talk to, let's talk about something other than the Leafs for a change. Let's talk about, yeah. you know, who's, who are the, who's in the Leafs division? Who, who do we have to watch out for those, yeah. you know, and uh, that's the mentality that I see here anyway. And to me, it's the same with baseball where, because we're able to watch the Blue Jays, Every day, uh, you know, for, from the the beginning of April till the end of September, and hopefully into October, uh, that we we've lost sight of what else is going on in in the league and uh, or in the leagues, uh, because yeah. you know, poor poor uh, poor uh, uh, <laughs> uh, Mister Trout out over in, in Anaheim. We don't get to see him, but he's a guy that we should be able to see all the time. Yeah. Well, I, I can't really answer to that because we uh, are in our house here. We, we, we cut the cord on, on satellite and cable about three years ago and we got a fire stick. Yes. Same and, here. And so we have the advantage of being able to watch uh, on this one app. We have uh, any MLB game, any NHL game that yep. we want. So um, it, which is great for us. I mean, we, we've got a baseball fan family here mm. and, um, so we will sit and, you know, if the Jays game is a dud or the Tigers game is a dud, um, we'll just go online and see what game is close in about the seventh inning and we'll watch the end of that. And then when those games end at about 10, 10, 15, we'll turn on the Dodgers game or the Mariners yes. game or, or the Angels game out West. And uh, so it, it's been terrific for that. We've actually become, we've actually become real. I was a Dodgers fan as a kid. Yeah. And, and I've become a big Dodgers fan again the last three years, only because I can watch all of their games now, starting at about ten o'clock at night when, when everyone else is going to bed in this house, I can stay up until one thirty watching the Dodgers game. The, the Fire Stick is is an amazing thing. I've got one on every TV in my house right now, and yeah. uh, I can, like you, you know, I get home late from work or something like that, and I, I turn on the TV and I think, hmm, who can I watch today? I'm a, my son was born in Seattle. Let's watch the Mariners tonight. No, oh, uh, cool. Yeah, we we, uh, we moved out there, uh, and and uh, for the time that he was that we were out there, that's when he was born. He was born in Kirkland, Washington, just outside of Seattle, and uh, we, he was there for about five minutes, and then we moved up to Vancouver. Oh, and uh, I, I love Seattle. Seattle's one of my favorite. Same cities. here. Of all the places I've lived, Seattle was the place that I I enjoyed the most. Uh, we we lived for the money for the money that we were making at the time. We were able to get. Uh, a single home on a, on a cul-de-sac on the end of a cul-de-sac and you looked around and the houses were beautiful the kids were beautiful the dogs were beautiful the mountains were beautiful the moms were beautiful everything was beautiful <laughs> you know it was just like uh uh just a, a wonderful place and i mean we moved in there on a and i think the first day we were i'm putting ikea furniture together and there's a knock on the door and somebody's there with a basket you know welcoming us to the neighborhood and it was mm. it was just an incredible place and uh and but then we, when we moved up to Vancouver, it took us six months to meet our neighbors. It was, it was, uh, it was, a. it's, I mean, I, I get it. Uh, Americans are different from Canadians. I mean, as a Canadian, I mean, it's like, I like you, but I like you there. 
(laughs) Right. uh, You know, and, uh, but we are, I guess we're more reticent to, to reach out and, and, uh, and go out to people and say, Hey, welcome to the neighborhood. Yeah. Yeah. But, uh, that's how it was. And, but anyway, my son was born in Seattle. Hmm. He's, he, he just visited there, uh, a couple of weeks ago. He flew out on his own. He's, he's 21 now. He lives in Ottawa with his mom. And, uh, he, he, uh, took a flight out, got a, found a cheap flight out to Vancouver, which I can't believe because I've never seen a cheap flight out to Vancouver. Hmm. Uh, but, uh, went out to Vancouver, spent four days in Seattle, toured around Seattle and toured around Vancouver and came back and, uh, just, uh, he's, he's, a he's an interesting kid. <laughs> I, I, I'm not going to lie. He's, uh, he did a seven week, uh, tour of Europe, backpacking through Europe, uh, wow. in August and September. Um, and, uh, came back with a whole bunch of experiences that uh and i think he he's become like he used to be really really chronically shy and now he's really come out of his shell and and uh he's become really confident in his own skin wow a trip like that would be life-changing you know for a a 20 21 year old um yeah I, i i remember i was 18 and a friend of mine and i um we had taken a year off between high school and college and we worked in a factory and we took two months off in the middle of winter to go and live on the beach in Lauderdale. Wow. And, um, and then, and then we were reading in the paper, we had seen that the Mardi Gras was starting in new Orleans <laughs> and we said, Hey, let's go to the Mardi Gras. That sounds like a party. Wow. So we drove all the way to new Orleans, ran out of money, wired home and, uh, and our parents wired us like about $50 enough to get home in 1978. Wow. And we, we hightailed it straight home, <laughs> so, but, it, but it was a great, it was a great experience. I mean, I, I always, I, I always can, say yeah. I, I left home as a, as a boy and came home a, a, a man that, that, that winter. I, I can understand that. I can totally understand that. I remember when I was 20 years old, uh, some friends and I flew out to Alberta and we, we were in Swan Hills, Alberta, working as laborers, on a, a water pipeline for the town of Swan Hills, which is about two hours north northwest of Edmonton, and uh, we saw a lot of things there. We worked our butts off, came home. We were like, our bodies were like that. Yeah. And uh, but we had money in our pockets. I paid. I paid cash for a Toyota Celica when I got mm-hmm. home. And uh, but uh, yeah, same thing. You know, came home with a with this kind of confidence and this kind of uh, a belief in yourself that you didn't have before. And uh, uh, yeah, life changing is 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 the word to describe it. You're right. Just a chance to see the world and meet other people is yeah is, is big. Yeah, it is. Randy, yeah. this has been a treat. I, I've really enjoyed it. Uh, we're down to our last couple of minutes, but uh, I wanted to say thank you for 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 sharing your time with me and for coming oh. on the show. Got lots of stories, Howie. Anytime you guys need me to come on, I'd be happy to. Well, uh, I'm going to mark you down in a, in my little uh, my little book, and uh, I, I I'll call you again. All right, man. Randy Randy Steinman has been my guest, folks. Uh, Thanks so much for listening to the show today. Don't forget, we are brought to you by our friends at the Fired Up Network. We are on 212 different platforms, including Spotify, iHeartRadio, TuneIn Radio. And check us out on Facebook on the Sports Lunatics Radio show page. It's always better when you're here, folks. Thanks for listening. Have a great sports day.